All right, earlier from Mark chapter 8, we've heard Peter's statement of faith, we've had Jesus' prediction of his death, and now continuing uh, with verse 34, um, we have a comment about discipleship. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. So the coolest thing happened to us this weekend. Uh, one of the most fun parts of homeschooling is how uh, the younger kids will sometimes pick up on what the older kids are learning. And so uh, we've been reading with Deacon for quite a while and working on that. And he's, uh, he's been really progressing very well learning how to read. But Annabelle has also been picking up on some things. We've been doing some intentional um, work with her on phonics and all that, but not a ton of direct work with her teaching her how to read. But for the... Um, this last Friday, Annabelle picked up some of her little uh, Bob books. They're like little phonetic readers and just started reading four of them in a row, really sounding out the, the words and letters, making connections. And we were just so proud to see our daughter learning. It was our little girl was reading on her own. It was really cool. And then after that, she had a major meltdown, like just like the worst, like kicking and screaming. Bedtime was just really difficult. But uh, as Lydia and I were reflecting afterwards, she was sharing with me that it wasn't really particularly hard for her that night. Uh, one, because she was so proud of Annabelle that, uh, that, that evening, uh, but also because she was realizing her brain is just doing a lot of work. She was learning a new skill. She was uh, working through something that was pretty difficult, and so no wonder she was exhausted and tired and overstimulated uh, going into the evening. So it made it a little bit easier um, to, to work through that. All kids go through developmental leaps and things, right? They're learning new skills. And while it's ch a challenging period, both for them and for the parents, uh, they come out stronger and smarter on the other side. They're learning a new skill. And life is like that, right? We all go through that, even in adulthood. Uh, as we go through challenges or challenging experiences, it does help us to come out stronger on the other side. I want to suggest for you this morning that what we witnessed from Peter and the disciples in our, our, our text in uh, Mark is them going through a developmental leap or a, uh, a learning experience that's really challenging for them. And it's a bit painful. Like Annabelle, they're learning how to make sense of a new world, but they're also learning a very particular skill. And as fellow disciples, we must learn the same skill. Jesus says that if we want to follow him, we have to learn how to die. To learn to die. We touched on what this can look like a little bit last week when we reflected on Esther as an example of counting the cost, giving up of ourselves for the good of others, doing the right thing in difficult circumstances. But this week, I just want to get a little bit more practical for us. How are we supposed to live that out? And I didn't bring the clicker up here. Uh, if you wouldn't mind doing some slides for us this morning or just to bring that up for me, that's fine as well. Yeah, there we go. The command in this text that we are working through is when Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple, they must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. 
Now, this is actually, uh, uh, in some of my work on trying to figure out what are all the commands that Jesus gives us, uh, I've found about 50 that seem to be universal commands for people. And of those 50, about 16 of them pop up in Mark. And so this is one of the 16 that comes in the Gospel of Mark. And one of the things I often ask about um, any of the teachings of Jesus and specific, specifically commands is how is this good news? Because I believe that everything about Jesus is good news. But some of the commands that he gives are a little bit harder to digest than others. So how is denying yourself, taking up your cross, how is that good news? So keep that in the back of your head as we're reflecting a little bit this morning. Let's, let's just talk about this practically a little bit. The first step here is denying yourself. And I'd suggest this is the hardest part of the whole command. You might think taking up your crosses, uh, but there's something that can be gratifying about dying for some grand purpose, about following in obedience with some sense of demonstrated skill. We can sometimes get ourselves energized to do something like that. But denying ourselves is inherently ungratifying, right? It's giving up something up without certainty of return. Many of us gave up an hour of sleep this morning. Didn't feel that great to do, right? Uh, I don't know if any of you all have been have, uh, joining us in that challenge of fasting during the, the season of Lent, giving anything up. Uh, Lydia and I have uh, chosen to give up uh, fast food in particular on those nights when it uh, uh, seems like, oh, everything, all of our normal plans have gone out of the way and it would just be easier if we got food out. Uh, we, we've chosen to give that up for this period. And there have been some nights where it is pretty difficult <laughs> to, to not deny ourselves of that. And you think, what is the reward for this, right? What's gratifying about this? The disciples had already given up a lot. They'd already started in this direction. They'd left their previous lives and vocations. They'd given up everything they had to follow Jesus around. But Jesus is now asking them to give up even more. They had to start letting go of who they even thought he was. The disciples were all aware that there was something significant about Jesus. Peter even went so far as to correctly identify him as the Messiah, uh, or Christos in the Greek, the Christ, literally, literally translated as the Anointed One. And Jesus responds by telling the disciples not to talk about him with that title. And instead, he starts referring to himself with a different title, also with a loaded meaning. He refers to himself as Son of Man. In Hebrew and Aramaic, this is just kind of a roundabout way of referring to someone's humanity. Actually, you see in uh, Psalm 8.4, this is an example. Uh, what is mankind that you are mindful of? This is that, that uh, man um, verbiage here. Human beings, son of man, that you care for them. This is a roundabout way of talking about someone's personhood. In Ezekiel uh, 2, 1 through 3, son of man language is used here again, uh, of God speaking to Ezekiel, stand up on your feet and I'll speak to you. As he spoke, the Spirit came to me and raised my feet, and I heard him speaking to me, and he said, Son of man, again, I am sending you to the Israelites, to a rebellious nation. He, he, the point is, he's using this language to describe a person here. Um, it was not actually a term that had much messianic significance in Jesus' day, interestingly enough. Although Jesus probably did allude to Daniel chapter 7 here, which does have some import. In Daniel chapter 7, we see uh, um, Daniel having this vision, and it says, In my vision I, uh, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, 
coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, was led into his presence. He was given authority uh, and, and sovereign uh, glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. It's hard to read that and not come away with some sense of there's a special person tied to this. And yet here still, the phrase seems to indicate a human being. is even specifically identified as that uh, later in Daniel chapter 7. Uh, when Daniel is asking for an interpretation, uh, the, the heavenly being tells him, gives him the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts are the four kings that will rise from earth, but the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. So even in this interpretation of this, uh, this uh, son of man figure mentioned in Daniel 7 is interpreted as the people of Israel, God's holy people together. And this is the image that Jesus chooses to talk about himself with as a man, as a representation of God's holy people as a whole. But before any of that authority, even that's granted uh, in this image in Daniel 7, he says he will be humiliated. It's as if he says, Hey, remember that vision that Daniel had of the mysterious man who gets exalted above these terrifying beasts? I'm that son of man, and to prove it, I'm about to walk into the belly of the most vicious of those beasts and die. I imagine that would have been pretty troubling for the disciples to hear. Uh, Daniel's vision didn't mention anything about the son of man dying. They're already very familiar with other people exerting their power over their people. Their Messiah was supposed to rescue them from all of that, not just lose worse, right? So the disciples, they had already left so much in order to follow Jesus, and now he was asking them to leave behind even their most deeply held convictions and notions of how God was supposed to rescue them. But this is exactly the way that Jesus often so profoundly liberates us. When he invites us to deny ourselves, he liberates us from our bondage to our own desires, to what we think we need. So I, I was trying to figure out how I could uh, uh, illustrate this for the uh, modern-day example, and, and I was thinking of my own life. You know, I spent much of my young adulthood yearning for validation in some way, particularly in relationships. I struggled to feel like I was enough, that I was lovable, that I was worth anyone's time. Something in me just told me that if I could just become a good husband and father someday, that, that then I would feel this sense of fulfillment and worth. The problem that I had for most of uh, my, my college life in particular is that none of the women I asked out ever said yes. <laughs> so it was like, how am I supposed to fulfill this? I don't know. Uh, looking back, though, I'm not super surprised. I was incredibly self-obsessed. Ultimately, I was approaching relationships, even as I was trying to be a, a nice guy and considerate. Ultimately, I was approaching these relationships for what it would do for me. Not out of sharing a, a love for someone else, out of the love that God has, has given me, but out of a, a desperate need for someone to validate my worth in a relationship. So eventually, I had to give up the hope of being in a relationship in order to really receive the truth that I was loved by God, just as I was, 
that I was enough, I was worth his time, that, uh, that I could receive him in that way. Now, of course, I'm happily married and have more kids than I know what to do with, but, uh, and I'd say I do a mediocre job at that at best, but I'm still learning and growing. And in all of this, it's, it's not my uh, you know, doing a, a good job, a good enough job as a husband and father that gives me worth, but it's because of knowing who I am in Christ that I'm able to give freely of love to my family and to do any sense of a good job in that respect. The first step to us in finding true life is to deny ourselves, to die to all of our preconceived notions of what's good for us, of what we need for rescue. Because then we can be freed to receive Christ as he is, not simply for what he can do for us. To receive Jesus. The next step is to take up our cross. Now, I said the first part was the hardest part. Uh, we, and, but I'll also say, you know, I could admit that uh, someone may freely risk their life for a noble cause, but it's still difficult, right? Very difficult, this idea of embracing humiliation and suffering. It's not easy in the slightest. And I want us to remember here that, uh, that Jesus, this is his first time sharing this with the disciples in plain language, what's about to happen to him, that he is going to go and to be rejected, to be handed over to die, and then three uh, days later to rise again. But that probably comes as kind of an easy thing to miss when they're dealing with the shock of the first part. He's going to, to die. And let's remember that he didn't say how here. He says he's going to, to die at the hands uh, of others. The disciples may have been wondering just at that first point about how he might die. Maybe they're thinking, imagining of the assassination plot or some confrontation in this. But then he calls the crowds together and he says, if you want to be my disciple, the path is simple to take up your cross and follow me. So now there's no more confusion about the kind of death he's inviting them to follow into. Uh, it's this, this death of, of humility. They know what the cross means. They know the kind of failure that it, uh, that it images in, in contrast to the empire. The question we might wrestle with is, does Jesus mean us to understand this literally or figuratively? I'd say yes, both. Following him may, and for some did and has, resulted in the same kind of death. For others, not. Interestingly, the early church uh, had to bring some correction to some even, uh, who became overzealous about this idea of martyrdom, almost insisting that one had to be martyred uh, in order to be a true Christian. Uh, now, Jesus is not asking us to be eager to die, right? Uh, almost to, to put ourselves in, uh, in uh, harm's way or to uh, provoke people into persecuting us. Um, but he is asking us to, be, to willingly follow without fear of what it might cost. There are some out there today who are overly preoccupied with this idea of, of persecution and martyrdom in, in two different ways. Sometimes it's this paranoia that there would be any sort of uh, uh, persecution that we might experience, and sometimes to the point of calling things just like loose privileges that we might have had persecution. Uh, there's another side of it, of being so preoccupied with this idea of, of persecution and martyrdom that we almost have this uh, um, 
provoking of other people in the world, trying to get a rise out of people, and then whenever people respond to that, oh, woe is me, I'm being persecuted, right? Uh, it's both of those over an over preoccupation with this. But taking up our cross, it means participating with Jesus and testifying to his power over death. When Jesus asks us to take up our cross and follow him, he's asking you to live like you mean it when you say that he's risen. Now, he hasn't risen yet when he's talking to these disciples, but he has demonstrated already his power over death. He has demonstrated uh, who he is and the victory that comes with following him. To live as if the powers of sin and death really don't have the last say. And that the power of God that rose Jesus from the grave really can overcome whatever the world might throw at us. So, we deny ourselves, we take up our crosses, and we follow Jesus. We emulate Jesus so that we might live like him, doing the things that he does, following the things that he commands of us. I find the most profound part of this passage to me at least, is that he asks this of his followers after he has already revealed what's going to happen to him. That he's going to do it first. Small group, group leaders will know that uh, whenever you're sharing uh, or, or inviting people to share, um, one of the easiest ways to help people feel comfortable is to go first. If you're asking people to be vulnerable, that you first model it. You might ask a question uh, of, you know, share about your testimony or share this or that or the other thing, and then just say, I'll, I'll share first. And that kind of opens up, the uh, makes it easier for people to share as well. Jesus, as the good leader as he is, he asks what seems almost impossible of his followers, and then he says, I'll go first. And so we follow in all sorts of ways that are countercultural. Uh, in the Brethren Church, we talk about uh, the three negatives or is kind of something that encapsulates a lot of what Jesus commands, this idea of non-conformity, non-swearing, non-resistance, and positive ways you could say them as like humbly obeying Christ rather than the conventions of our culture, uh, doing what, what Jesus has invited us to do, even when it doesn't match up with what the world seems to tell us to do. We obey his commands as faithfully as possible, including doing strange things sometimes, like humbling ourselves and washing each other's feet in communion, or uh, uh, there's any number of strange things to the world that, that, that we do. But we, we do it because we want to be faithful to what he's called us to. We speak with honesty and integrity rather than constantly needing to qualify our statements and bolster our credibility by swearing oaths. I always uh, think it's really funny when I, I hear people who uh, make a big stink about this or that other uh, elected official who, who won't swear on the Bible, they want to do it, use a Quran or the Constitution or, or something, and, and people uh, make a big stink about it. And then I say, well, I mean, it's kind of weird that we swear on the Bible to begin with, because that Bible includes a part where Jesus says, don't swear oaths, right? And so if we, we take Jesus literally at his word, uh, then we wouldn't do that. And things like non-resistance means we... We love our enemies. We don't respond to violence with violence or to evil with evil, but we love our enemies and pursue peacemaking rather than rely on violence to confront evil in the world. Now, here's the thing. Following Jesus can make others feel itchy when they're around us if they don't. 
If we're living out our faith in any sort of public way, it will become noticeable to others eventually. And even if we aren't pressuring them uh, to believe like us, to do the same thing that we do, sometimes the mere fact of obedience around someone else can clash with their worldview. Maybe to, to make them feel convicted because it seems like, well, I don't know, maybe, maybe I should be doing this, but I don't want to do that. That's not how I would like to live my life out that way. Think of the Esther story that we read last week. Haman hated an entire people because one guy wouldn't bow down to him. That's this idea, like, uh, when someone is so wrapped up in their own pride or, or, or whatever patterns of life that are against the way of God, um, and they are confronted with, with how that could be evil, they respond to it. The feeling of conviction isn't pleasant. Some respond with repentance. Others might respond with animosity or self-justification. And Jesus wants us to be ready to respond to that with love. He's not asking us to do anything that he hasn't already equipped us for. And he hasn't already done himself. We've been made in God's image to live with the same kind of sacrificial and covenantal love for God and for, for each other that he shares with us. But often we have been twisted and marred and distorted by our sins so that we don't live that way. So he went first to show us the way. To reconcile us while we were still sinners. To make us clean and holy. Able to receive his Holy Spirit. To have it indwell within us. To empower us to do good. And having eliminated all our shame before God, he invites us to follow in his footsteps to confront the powers of sin and death with unmerited love and grace. So friends, the message of the cross isn't Jesus died so you don't have to. The message of the cross is Jesus died so you can too. Without fear. Without hope. Or with hope. <laughs> without fear, but bolstered by the hope of God and the gospel. To discover a life that is truly life. A hope that goes beyond the grave. So as we close, I want us to think again about this command. To deny, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, to follow Jesus. That it's good news because he has shown us a life that is far better, far more true and profound than the life we feel like we're risking. Mort humble mortality that we have. And I want to ask, if we know that that's good, why do we struggle with it? Why do we struggle to deny ourselves? Why do we struggle to say yes? There's a country singer named Loretta Lynn who has a, a, a song, Everybody Wants to Go to Heaven, But Nobody Wants to Die. Right? We, don't, we don't want to, to experience pain. We don't want to deny ourselves of anything. We typically try to avoid pain and suffering, not embrace it. We want to be liked. We want to be cared for. We want to live. Those are some substantial barriers to overcome in obeying this command. The only I personally have found to overcome the, my own self-interest as a barrier is Jesus. Encountering Jesus. His love, His grace, that, that 
depths that he has been willing to go for us, for me. So I'm inviting you, along with me today, to come to Jesus one more time. To offer our heart to him anew. Because he's worth it. And he never fails to show up every day to offer us new mercies. So may we, once again, offer him our hearts, take up our cross, and follow him. May he teach us how to die. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful that the life that you offer us is far greater than anything we could hope for or imagine. And we thank you that you have already assured the victory. That we have hope that you will uh, one day put an end to all evil. That you will put everything set back to rights. But that you have already revealed yourself to us. You have given us foretastes that we can see you, know you, experience you, encounter you, and trust you, that you have given us your spirit to dwell within us, to continue to make us new, to empower us, to encourage us, embolden us. We pray for more, Lord. We pray that humbly, but we also pray it expectantly, because you have never failed to give in the past. So we pray that you would help us to look like you. Pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks again for listening today to Sermons at Smoky Row Brethren Church. Hey, if you enjoyed this message, would you consider leaving a rating or review or share a link to it on your social media page? All of those things can help to spread the reach of this podcast and make this resource accessible to more people for their spiritual growth. Or if you believe in the mission and the work of our congregation and want to support what we're doing, you can give online at smokyrow.org slash give. Link available in the show notes. All of our ministry work is funded by the generosity of people like you. And until the next time, may the peace of Christ go with you wherever he may lead you. And the peace and the power of his Holy Spirit. See you soon.